You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Wow. Would you join me in thanking our choir and praise team for such a wonderful time of Christ-exalting worship. We are so blessed as a church to be able to encounter God in such an incredible way every Sunday. We want to thank everyone here. And I want you to know, you get an award for being here on spring break weekend The time has changed, spring forward, we've lost an hour of sleep, and you're here at our early service, so give yourselves a big hand. I'm so proud of each one of you. Incredible. We want to welcome those who are joining us online. We're so thankful that you're with us, and we just want you to encounter God personally and know that you're already loved and you've been prayed for, and we're going to have such an incredible time together. If you'll join me in Philippians chapter 1, that's where we'll be in just a moment, Tanya and I had the privilege of being in Houston Christian High School on Thursday. We sat at a wonderful table with Kevin and Mayan Ha and Mark and Lee Kohler. And at our table was a very special guest, and it was the guest speaker for that day. And I want to recognize her this morning, uh, Fanti Kim Fook. Would you please stand? I want to recognize her, her husband, Tuan. Would you stand? We want to recognize you this morning. So grateful for you. And we have, I've been reading her book, and I actually have it, Miss Kim, in audio, so I get to hear the accent, which is so sweet. But Miss um, Kim is known as the Napalm Bomb Girl. 51 years ago, it was, uh, or 52 years ago, June 8, 1978, that iconic photo uh, that was posted globally. And and just to be able to hear your story of forgiveness. And, and really, you are the message I'm preaching this morning. Uh, I, I should have just had Ms. Kim come preach the message uh, had, I, I, had I known we could have done that. But Ms. Kim, such an honor to have you with us this morning. And I want to thank Dr. Livingston and his wife, Becky. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Livingston's the head of school at Houston Christian High School. And I want both of you know just uh, how you rolled out the red carpet in such a wonderful way to host all those who were there that day. And Pastor Greg went to the student service, so he got to hear Miss Kim. And here's a picture of Pastor Greg and Miss Kim. So let's give up for Pastor Greg. So appreciate him. And uh, as we watched the video a moment ago, Pastor Greg is in Israel with 84 of our members and uh, touring the Holy Land. When Tanya and I went to the Holy Land, we felt like we ran where Jesus walked. (laughs) We covered so much ground, so we do want to be praying for Pastor Greg and all of our members who are with him. I want you to pray with me as we dive into this message. Father, we've been so touched already by your presence. As you've allowed us to worship you, God, we've been able to encounter you. And I want to thank you for being a God of revelation. And Holy Spirit, that you will so speak to our hearts Just tenderize our hearts even now to receive your word. Lord, we want to hear from you. And God, I just want to thank you that you've provided your word to us. And I pray that as I preach your word, that your word will go forth and we claim your promise that it will not return void. And God, I pray that we will move this morning from being hearers of the word to being doers of the word, that our lives will be different because of our encounter with your love letter to the church. And we pray in the name that's above every name, the precious name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. 
there was a couple who actually met at Wheaton College. It was the brother of a roommate that she fell in love with. They get married and feel this call to go to Ecuador as missionaries, and they invited their friends who also felt called to go with them. Their motives were pure. Their focus was to be a blessing and benefit to everyone they came in contact with, and their goal, of course, was to bring the gospel to the tribes of those living in that region of Ecuador. But in 1956, the five different husbands, all that friend group that committed to go together, were killed by those they sought to serve. And thus, Jim Elliott became a martyr for the faith. His wife, Elizabeth, had to endure the agony of losing a husband after just being newlyweds and having to raise her family and to march on. And she came to know adversity on a first-name basis. And there are many in this room this morning in this beautiful worship center and many who are joining us online that you would also identify that in some portion of your journey on this broken planet, you have come to know adversity on a first-name basis as well. And what I want to talk about as we dive into God's Word in Philippians chapter 1 is the university of adversity. And we're going to look at three lessons this morning that I think will help us in our journey with God and help us to understand how God uses adversity and even more, how God uses our response to adversity. You say, well, Pastor Stephen, why are you naming this the university of adversity? Here's why. What I've discovered in 53 years of living is if I miss a lesson, God will take me back through the class again. And I've repeated, Dr. Livingston, many classes in my journey of faith. So we're in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to explore lessons the Apostle Paul learned in the University of Adversity. Look at verse 12 with me. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, don't miss this phrase, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Here's lesson number one. Your response to your circumstances can advance the gospel. I love how Paul was willing to view his circumstances from God's perspective. Now, when you think about the apostle Paul, remember, he was the one in Acts chapter 9 who was a persecutor of the church, and then he had this divine transaction and he became a preacher of the gospel. We call it a, a salvation experience, a divine transaction. And God changed his heart and changed the trajectory of his life. Now he's a preacher of the gospel. Now he's on missionary journeys and he's spreading the gospel. And God is using him in such an extraordinary way to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find him in Acts chapter 16 where Timothy is with him and Dr. Luke is with him. And they encounter Lydia, the woman who was with a, a lady group, a ladies group of prayer and, and there gave them the full revelation of God. They come to know Jesus Christ. And then a fortune teller who was demon possessed and he delivers her from her demon possession and her owners now not making money from her 
throw them in jail. So here are Paul and Silas in jail and at midnight, here they are with chains and shackles and at midnight they're praying and singing praises to God and, and then the jailhouse rock, that's where rock music was introduced here in Acts chapter 16. And everything that had them bound was loosed and the jailer fearing revenge from the emperor was about to take his own life. And Paul and Silas say, but wait, we're, we're all here. And the jailer runs to them and falls on his face before them and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And not only did the jailer get saved, his entire household comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And now the church at Philippi is birthed, potentially meeting in Lydia's home or the jailer's home, or they were multi-site, both homes. So now we're 10 years later. Paul is now in his first imprisonment in Rome and he's writing a love letter to the church he founded and the church is 800 miles away. Now we get to overhear what he says to the church. And I love his perspective that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now look at verse 13, he begins to unpack that so that, and that's a key phrase, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. The reason I'm imprisoned is because of my love relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to go to jail for Jesus? Does he mean that much to you? Can you ascertain here how Paul in his condition is willing to view his circumstances from God's perspective, we would say he's now immobilized. He's now chained. Thus, the gospel must be chained. And I want you to think about the circumstances of your life. Maybe right now you're going through a season where you feel like you're in a delay. Maybe you've experienced a derail and you never thought you would be where you are. And you're wondering, God, what are you up to? What's next for me? Is God even at work in this situation? And what I love about Paul, he didn't see that the gospel was chained. He saw that the gospel is going to be multiplied through his circumstance. That what has happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. When we think of imprisonment, we think it's over. But he understood that God was still at work. And remember, where Satan puts a period, God puts a comma. God always has more. And God is still at work. Notice how Paul maximized moments to make Jesus known. That's in your notes. Paul maximized moments to make Jesus known. Here he says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. We learn in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, where Paul says when we entered Rome, or the Bible says when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Now, just, just picture this if you would. Here's Paul under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard and they rotate the guards potentially every eight hours. And so just imagine all the new guards that are coming through the rotation. And the bigger imagination is imagine 
Imagine, I'm going to wear it like a necklace for you. Imagine the the Apostle Paul being chained to a Roman soldier. That's one thing. But imagine a Roman soldier being chained to the Apostle Paul. Somebody's going to change. And you have to make a decision in your life. When you go through difficult circumstances, when you go through adversity, you're going to feel chained. You're going to feel chained to your circumstances, and you're also going to be chained to some people. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to be a thermometer and reflect the environment, or are you going to be a thermostat and set the environment? Paul chose to be a thermostat. Now, he didn't know what a thermostat was in his day, but what we understand was he knew that he was going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that the outside would say is now bound and chained. He would say, I've got opportunity. I've got opportunity. And he made Jesus known. So here's our takeaway. Be intentional. Bloom where God plants you. Be intentional. Bloom where God plants you. For some of you, when you wake up on a Monday morning, you go to a very difficult work environment and you dread going to work. What if your workplace became your mission field? You say, but you have no idea who I'm working with and how difficult they can be and and they are so far from God. Could it be that God has placed you there because you're close to Jesus and you may be the only Jesus they ever see? Bloom where God plants you. What you'll discover in your circumstances is that your circumstances provide you access and proximity. Access and proximity. Because of your circumstances. Now think about Paul. Because of his imprisonment, he was now given access to the Roman guards, the imperial guards. And he would lead them to Christ They would go to the palace and they would bloom where God planted them in the palace and they became contagious in their faith and it spread. I think a great question for us this morning is what are you spreading in the midst of your adversity? This hits really close to home to Houston's First Baptist Church. We have one of our very own Stephen Murray, who's our director of communications and just dear to our hearts. He and Amanda are so amazing and they're connected at our Cypress campus and they're walking through a major season of adversity right now with their son, Braden. As a student at Baylor, his life interrupted by the revisitation of cancer. Just endured 12 rounds of chemo or radiation and now uh, experiencing a bone marrow transplant we have some pictures to show you here here is Stephen and Braden and then you'll see Stephen and his wife Amanda and you'll see Braden with this this tree of all that he's receiving through IV now we would call this adversity but here's what Stephen and Amanda and Wilson and Caroline and Braden are doing with their situation. They understand it's a difficult situation, but they're placing their faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're relying on the church family to stand up and to pray and to cover them. And what they're doing is in the midst of their circumstances, they're blooming for Jesus. 
And God is giving them access to doctors and nurses and specialists who come by frequently and they get to showcase the grace of God every single day. Now listen carefully. Without that adversity, they would not have been granted access to that intersection of life. You see, your life is made up of intersections of life. And God brings you to different intersections in your life so that you can be a thermostat and bloom where God plants you. That those who come to know you but don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus because they became to a place where they know you. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. What if someone were chained to you? Would they be drawn to Jesus or repelled? Lesson number two. You ready for it? Say, keep the chain going. Okay, that was not loud enough. If you're ready for it, say, keep the chain going. Here's lesson number two. We're going to pick up in verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even, even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now, wait a minute. God is using Paul's imprisonment to bless others. Here's lesson number two. Your response to your circumstances can add value to others. And we see this in Paul's life. Notice Paul viewed his imprisonment as a blessing to the body of Christ. Paul also recognized God's activity beyond his personal proximity. So Paul's going to make the most of his immediate proximity where God has brought him. He's going to bloom for God's glory in that circle, in that sphere, in that intersection of life. But Paul is also recognizing God's activity beyond his personal proximity. And that's how God works. He'll take what you're going through and he'll do a work in you to do a work through you that will outlive you. And so we have a decision to make this morning. We can either go through adversity or we can choose to grow through adversity. And how you respond to adversity will determine whether you just go through it or if you grow through it and allow God to do a work in you so he can do a work through you. I love how Paul's ministry effectiveness as a prisoner encouraged fellow pastors in Rome as preachers of the gospel. That how he was responding to adversity had a cascading effect of encouragement. And wouldn't that be a blessing in our lives if we could live in such a way, even in the midst of adversity, that it encouraged other people? that it literally would just splash living water on all those God brings into our sphere of influence and beyond. As one of my mentors used to say, people may not read the Bible, but they'll read the gospel according to your life. So here's the takeaway, be insightful. Gain God's perspective on your circumstances. I'm going to give you a question to ask. You may want to write this down. So often when we go through a difficult season in our lives, and many of you are in there now, you know. So often when we go through a difficult season, we'll say, God, why? 
Why have you allowed this to come our way? Why have you allowed this to impact our family? Why have you allowed this financial crisis to come our way? And I want to ask you to change the word why to the word what. God, what? What is it you want to do in me? Lord, I know that I'm on the potter's wheel. Lord, I know you're the potter. I'm the clay. What is it that you're trying to work in me or what is it you're trying to work out of me? Lord, what? What do you want to accomplish in me so that you can do your work through me? Now look at verse 15. To be sure, Paul says, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. He had clarity about who he was in Christ. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Do you see the tension and the friction? Here's lesson three. Your response to your circumstances can exalt Christ. How you respond to adversity can literally exalt Christ. So what we're seeing this morning is that our response to adversity can advance the gospel. Our response to adversity can add value to others, literally be a blessing to other people. And then it can exalt Christ. That what you're going through and how you respond to what you're going through can actually exalt Christ. It can glorify him. Notice how Paul discerned the mixture of motives behind the messengers. He was discerning. He knew that some had impure motives, preaching, preaching Christ from envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. He also detected that some had pure motives, preaching Christ from goodwill and love and sincerity. And I love verse 18. Don't miss verse 18. In fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bibles or highlighting on your smartphone this phrase, the first part of eight, verse 18, where Paul says, what does it matter? That's a whole message by itself. That in our adversity and how people respond to what we're going through and how they are acting, if we could get to the place where we say, what does it matter? Now think about this. Paul could have become very bitter in prison seeing that other preachers of the gospel, some had pure motives, some had impure motives. He could have gotten very toxic in his spirit by their behavior. But instead he says, what does it matter? You want to talk about having God's perspective on our circumstances? Notice, only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation. Now here, Paul's not talking about his eternal salvation, his eternal destiny. He already settled that on the road to Damascus. He's talking about his vindication. He's talking about his deliverance. And I love this, verse 19, through your prayers and help from the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Whenever you're going through a difficult season, I love how God puts it on the hearts of other believers to intercede for you. And then he allows the Holy Spirit to minister to you in the midst of what you're going through. Notice here in your notes, Paul rejoiced in the spread of the gospel. 
That's what moved him. That his imprisonment was not a wall. It was a bridge. That what he was going through actually became a launching pad of gospel expansion. You see here, Paul's attitude is a mark of spiritual maturity. Kind of like that tube of toothpaste we used this morning. When squeezed, whatever's on the inside will come out. And that's what happens when you go through adversity. Not only will it form you and shape you, but it also will reveal what's in you. But Paul had God's perspective on his circumstances. I love how Paul's passion is for living water to be distributed regardless of the motives behind the ones delivering the living water. When I was at Louisiana College, which is now Louisiana Christian University, which is a sister of HBU, which is now Houston Christian University, when I was a student there, I had this opportunity to be an intern at a local church with one of my heroes, Dr. John Alley, who pastored Calvary Baptist Church in Alexandria, my hometown, for over 32 years, and I got to go spend time with him every week, and I was pastoring while I was in college, and Tanya and I uh, were newlyweds, and so I'd have a legal pad full of questions to ask about everything, and he'd give me a full hour, and I would just sit at his feet, and he would download wisdom, and I would write it down, and I've been living it out ever since. God used him in such a great way in my life, and I'll never forget when he said to me one day, when I was going through a little season of discouragement because I didn't feel like the church I was pastoring was growing fast enough. Because anytime I would go to a conference or to an evangelism conference or the convention, you know, here as a young preacher boy in college, these other pastors would come up to me and say, how many of y'all running? And I didn't know if they meant running off or running in worship or running in Sunday school. How many of y'all running? And so I always felt like that my value was based on the size church I was pastoring, and I got delivered from that. But I'll never forget Brother John Alley saying to me, Stephen, you just remember, you're just a gospel pizza delivery boy. You just keep delivering the gospel pizza. And that's who we are. Our responsibility, whether we're in adversity, whether we're coming out of adversity, or if we're going into adversity, our responsibility, church family, our responsibility is to deliver the gospel pizza. And you watch what God will do in you as you are faithful to deliver the gospel pizza. So here's the takeaway. Be resilient. Rejoice is a choice. That's a quote from Dr. Adrian Rogers, who is now in heaven. Rejoice is a choice. Genesis 50 and 20, you planned evil against me, Joseph said. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So I wanna challenge you this morning, be resilient. And being resilient requires patience. Focus your faith, not on your circumstances, but on Jesus Christ. And we know, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Keep delivering the gospel pizza. 
It's been so refreshing to just study the life of Elizabeth Elliot, all the books that she has published. And the most meaningful part was the letter she wrote saying, this was just two years, it was 1956 and 1958, she received a letter that, that she was expressing her heart's desire to go back to Ecuador and serve the people who had killed her husband. And that's what she did. She went back and served the very tribes that had killed her husband and the four other men. Now, that's forgiveness on display, right, Miss Kim? That's what forgiveness looks like. And the way you can live at that level is you come back and say, Lord, because you have forgiven me, because you have rescued me, because you have chosen to use me in spite of me, because of all that you've delivered me through, the least I can do is go serve others that Jesus has already died for. So what about you? What kind of adversity are you navigating personally? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe there's someone you're walking with and you just see them going through such a difficult season. How will you respond? Here's the life point. If God allows it, he will use it. And if God brings you to it, God will bring you through it. Why is that? Because nothing happens to a child of God that is not father filtered. It's how much he loves you. And he's for you. So often when we experience pain in life, we want to run from God and try to anesthetize the pain with other things. And they always come up short. I'm going to encourage you this morning not to run from God, but to run to God. His arms are wide open. He is the way maker. You know what that means? Whatever you're going through, you may say there's no way. But I know who can make a way when there seems to be no way. He is the miracle worker. When you see the Red Sea in front of you, I know God and God can part the Red Sea. And he's the promise keeper. God keeps his word and you can trust him. So the question I have for you this morning is, are you gonna allow your adversity cause you to run from God or run to God? Will you become hard and cold and indifferent because of pain or will you become tender and receptive and gentle and responsive to God's activity? Will you recognize our dependency upon God? That we're nothing without him, that we're broken before him and you just come before God as tissue paper and say, Lord, I'm nothing without you and I want you to watch what God will do with what you bring to him you bring him your five loaves and two fish and watch God multiply through your life bring your brokenness bring your ashes and watch God create beauty from your ashes and he'll do it for your good but ultimately for his glory
going to ask you to bow with me as you have time alone with God. I just want you to reflect. We've covered a lot of ground in a short time. And I want you to think about what God is storing in your heart. What has God used this morning to connect with you? Are you willing to bloom where God plants you? Are you willing to view your circumstances through God's perspective, through the eyes of faith? Maybe for you, you've been complaining all the time. And for you, you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to embrace a lifestyle of rejoicing, knowing that rejoice is a choice. In just a moment, we're going to have prayer partners available to receive you, to pray with you, to encourage you. And when you respond during this public invitation, we're inviting you to come forward and come to one of our prayer partners. And when you come to any one of them, they ask two questions. What's your name? What's on your heart? And then they will pray for you and you can return to your seat. We also have kneeling benches to my right, to my left, your right, your left. You may feel led to just come to the altar and pray personally for something you're going through or maybe you're burdened for someone else. Please don't stay where you are. Please come to the altar and pray for someone God's put on your heart. This is called the response time, the public invitation. God's word demands a response. How will you respond? If you've never trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, I have the greatest news of all. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raising from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With a mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved saved. God's already done all the work. The Bible tells us that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. March 28th, 1979 was my day of salvation. Turning from sin, trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. God using the pain of my parents' divorce to cause me to search for a father who would never let me down. His name is Jesus. And when you place your hand in his nail-scarred hands, you're going to experience a love like you've never known before. He died on the cross to pay your sin debt in full and to purchase your salvation. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then 40 days after that, he ascended back to the Father. And one day, he's coming back for his church. Are you ready? You can be, and we want to help you. So, Father, have your way in our time together. We just thank you for your precious word. Lord, thank you for every season you entrust to us. Help us to be good stewards of all that you allow to come in our lives and all that you want to do in us so that you can do your work through us. Lord, find us faithful. Help us to be teachable and expandable and responsive to your work. And Lord, I pray for every person here this morning, Lord, any who do not know you as Lord and Savior, those who joined us online, God, that today will be the day of their salvation, that they'll run from sin and run to you, Jesus, and be saved. Lord, speak to us this morning. Draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.